Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rock Bottom Syndicate. I'm your host, Joyce Strong. Rock Bottom Syndicate is about people who have a story to tell to inspire others. They've hit rock bottom. They've had things go on in their lives, and they're here to share their experiences of how they dealt with it and what came out on the other side as they leaned into fear or leaned into difficulty. We're all going through difficulty now, and I just think this is such a great inspirational story. It is part two of my interview with Carrie Hill, and she is a brain aneurysm survivor and an advocate for people who have these this condition in particular, but also in dealing with the health care system and family and your community at large, your tribe at large. Uh, Carrie's really encountered lots of challenges along the way and developed some PTSD in the process because of some negative experiences that she had to overcome. But in the end, she is growing and learning and becoming everything um, that she is meant to become. And um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more as she blossoms and, and um, opens up, her world opens up as a speaker, as an advocate as a mother and a friend in all the ways that she is growing as a person. So I'm so grateful to her for sharing these two episodes. Today is part two, so make sure you go back and listen to part one. Um, she deals with two different hospital systems and um, really uh, t tells her full journey and all the details so that you can understand the frustration and the um, how scared she was and what she needed and how she eventually got what she needed. So I hope you'll enjoy this. Carrie has asked me to ask you to reach out to her if you need help. If you're looking for a speaker, she would be a, a wonderful speaker for your group. She is an amazing speaker, very funny and fun and uplifting. So I do hope you'll reach out to her, reach out to her with questions or for support. And of course, I love to help. I love to be of service and reach out to me. I hope you enjoy this show. Part one and part two today is part two. So make sure you get both. Enjoy. Hey, Carrie. Welcome back to Rock Bottom Syndicate. Hi, Joyce. Thanks for having me again. And for our listeners, Carrie Hill, um, she was on another episode telling her story of her um, brain aneurysm experience and now her work as an advocate and speaker and um, raising awareness for people uh, within the healthcare system, what they can do to be better advocates for themselves and um, also just your pure resilience and hitting rock bottom and still, you know, working with what you've got. And um, I admire you so much. And I wanted you to come back and tell more of your story because I know there's another whole layer because it didn't just happen once. No, it didn't just happen once. Um, so again, thank you for having me back again. I appreciate it. And all the kind words that you've shared with me, they're really, they're inspiring. And, and I really thank you for taking the time to do those things. Um, so yeah, it didn't just happen once. Uh, so from part one, I'll go into part two, but a quick recap. So in 2009, I suffered a ruptured aneurysm with complications that required two brain surgeries, um, a year of cognitive therapy and a whole life redo. Um, so that was in part one. And based on my medical past, I have my head scanned once a year with a CTA, um, which is a a CT scan with dye. That's the best way to discover if you have any imperfections in the vessels of your brain. Mm -hmm. So I have that done once a year. And six years ago, so post four years post-op, they found that there was another little tiny one millimeter aneurysm. And we were just going to watch it and see what happens. 
So this past year I went in for my scan. And as I mentioned in part one, it, I got the gut feeling that they had found something and I waited for my copies of the scans and I played hide and seek when I got home. And I got the email that night from my neurologist that I needed to go see the neurosurgeon again because that one we had been watching had grown. It had elongated. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That moment when I read that email, again, my gut instinct told me that they, they had found something. But when the words were written in front of my face, it was, it was a sucker punch. It really, really was. And statistically, if you have one aneurysm, your chances of having another one double. Wow. And the research that I've been able to do, I find that it happens right around the 10-year mark from the first one. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I had told myself, you know, a lot in those 10 years that if this ever happened to me again, I was never going to go through a surgery again. I was not, I was not going to do that again. I was just going to have to live with it. That's what I had told myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it didn't work out that way. So, um, they find that they find the aneurysm has grown. Now it's small, it's two millimeters. So it's not an emergency per se, but it is still a ticking time bomb. And there is no way for any doctor to tell you when or if it's going to rupture. Mm -hmm. And I knew what a ruptured brain aneurysm could do to somebody. I had lived through it, thankfully. Um, and I carry the, the repercussions of that every day of my life. Mm -hmm. So I went to my neurologist team or my neurosurgeon team at Duke, the same team that had um, handled my situation before. And they wanted to take a wait and see approach. They said, it's really small. It's not likely that it's going to rupture. So we just want to do a scan every three months and just, you know, keep a closer eye on it. And if it starts to grow, if it gets to three millimeters, we want to do the coil um, option for you and not the clip option. The coil option is a lot less invasive. It, they go in through like an angiogram and they basically fill the aneurysm with these little itty bitty wired coils. And some aneurysms can be filled with one or two of those and some need 20, 30, 40, 50 of those. So those, that option's really good if the aneurysm is in a spot that they can't surgically get to easily. Mm -hmm. um, but it only has a 70% success rate and it requires a lot more maintenance. It requires a lot more angiograms, more procedures to check on it and make sure it's okay. It can require you to have to take blood thinners for the rest of your life. It's, um, again, it's not as invasive, but it's not as successful either. Whereas a clip if it's successful, it's 98% successful. You, you know, it's like a twisty tie going on the end of a, a loaf of bread. It cuts off the blood circulation to that aneurysm. And after, or well, over time, it shrivels up like a prune because it doesn't have any blood or oxygen to stay alive. Mm -hmm. um, so my neurosurgeon wanted to wait and I struggled with that. Because again, it's a ticking time bomb and you can't tell me it's not going to kill me. Um, and I knew that my, I knew my emotional state with this particular subject was way too fragile to have to keep going, knowing that that possibility was there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So my doctors and I, we talked, um, he's a very nice gentleman. We talked on the phone for 45 minutes just before Christmas. Um, and we went over the different options and he was very adamant that the coiling option would be the best, um, for me in this position and just to wait. And I explained to him, you know, I, since you've told me this information, I can't drive my car. I'm afraid it's going to rupture and I'm going to hurt somebody else. I'm afraid I'm going to drop dead in the middle of the grocery store. I can't be alone. My, I mean, my whole spirit had just been crushed. Mm-hmm. Everything that I had built up over those 10 years had it disappeared. The strength was gone. The resilience was gone. The stubbornness was still there. <laughs> um, but the, the strength and the resilience was gone. And I went to my PCP and I was like, look, this anxiety is just insane. And can you please help me? And so we tried Xanax and I don't like Xanax at all. So I only took that twice. Then we went on a regular regimen for anxiety medication, which helped, but it took some time for it to get into my system. And when you go on anti-anxiety or anti-depression medications, you get these really weird thoughts in your head sometimes that aren't real. Um, so that happened. And when that happened, I packed my bag and I went to my boyfriend's house and I literally disintegrated on his couch for two and a half months. I lost 25 pounds. I was sleeping all day. Um, I wasn't active in any way, shape or form. I wasn't my bubbly self. I wasn't laughing. I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't enjoying life. I was so petrified and it caught me off guard because I just, I I didn't think I had PTSD. I didn't think I had, I thought I had accepted everything and that I had learned to, to grow and build and be me with all these new disabilities from 2010 or 2009. And, this experience, I mean, I was ashamed of myself as to how weak I had gotten and, and how much it had just, it, it took over. It was all I could think about. So one night my boyfriend and I were talking and I was like, you know, a CTA scan every three months. And I was doing that regiment and you know, it, it, it was fine, but that's a lot of dye on my kidneys and that's a lot of radiation on my brain. And yeah, yeah, the aneurysm's staying pretty stable, but how good is it for my brain to keep doing this? And, you know, maybe we should X-nay the dye. Is there a better scan I can do? And I mean, my doctors were great. They kept in constant contact with me and all of my crazy ideas. Um, but they were still uncomfortable with moving forward with a clip. They said they would do it, but they weren't in any hurry to do it. And I could tell, and I think a lot of that fear I think a lot of that fear came from maybe some PTSD my surgeon had from my first experience with his team. Um, And I know I had my own fear of, do I really want this gentleman to touch my brain again? And what happened to me was not his fault. Were there some issues with lack of care and awareness? Yes, there definitely, there definitely was. Mm -hmm. But the clipping surgery he performed was successful. That aneurysm was clipped. Now it ruptured and I should have been in the hospital a lot longer than I had been. And there were some things that were missed that definitely should have been recognized by the medical staff. Um, But as far as a brain surgeon goes, he's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my boyfriend is watching me just 
again, disintegrate on his couch. And my son doesn't know how to relate to me at this point. And my friends, they don't know what to do. Um, they're doing everything they can, you know, let's go out, let's do this, let's do that. Mm -mm, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I didn't want people to see me that way again. I didn't want people, I didn't want it to negatively impact other people that I cared about. And, but I couldn't stop it this time because it had just taken over everything. Yeah. So my boyfriend says to me one night, he was like, well, why don't you go see another doctor? You know, get a second opinion. And I said, well, I've already seen all the good recognized doctors in my, in my, you know, county in my state, you know, we have Duke here, we have UNC here, we have Rex here, we have Wake Med here, we're, we're lucky to have the medical facilities that we do. Yeah. And none of them during that first set of aneurysm issues really helped me. They all dropped the ball, every last one of them. So I wasn't real confident in spending my time seeking out a second opinion. And he said, well, why don't you go out of state? Hmm. You know? That's not a bad idea. <laughs> so he Google searched the number one neurosurgery hospital in the country. And that was Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And the number two hospital was Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. Florida is much closer to North Carolina. And I very easily could have gone there. But I said, no, if we're going to do this, we're going to go to the number one hospital and we're going to get the best options we can. So I reached out to Mayo and they were very, very receptive, very fast, very diligent, very compassionate. Mm -hmm. um, it was, let's see, February, March, probably March when I started to have all of my medical records transitioned over to Mayo so that they could look at it. Mm -hmm. It was the third week in March that Mayo reached out to me and said, hey, we want to see you. We want you to come in April 5th. We want you to see the neurosurgeon and we want you to see the vascular neurologist. I said, okay, you know, great. I, I, that was, that was productive to me. That was hope. That was okay. Somebody, somebody's going to listen to me and somebody's going to hear me. Yeah. And, um, I, in my stubborn, pushy self asked the scheduling coordinator, do you know what they're going to do while I'm there? So I know if I need to bring my support team, I, you know, what about my son, my dogs, my house? There's a lot of things I have to put into place because I'm traveling a thousand miles to see you. Well, they won't know until they see you. Okay. I understand that, you know, we don't know exactly until they see me, but can I, can you leave a message for the nurse and ask her to call me back so that I can get some kind of idea about a treatment plan? So again, that I can set everything up at home as comfortable as possible before I come out there. We don't typically do it that way, ma'am. Okay. I understand. And, and I, and I, I appreciate what you're telling me. Um, but if you could just send that message, just send that message. And if they call me, they call me. And if they don't, they don't. But I definitely do want the appointments on the fifth. Okay. 13 minutes later, the neurosurgeon calls my cell phone. And he says, hi, this is Dr. Lanzino. I'm calling for Carrie Hill. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> 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 like, wow. Okay. That's really efficient. And I talked to him on the phone and in all honesty, I think it was my guardian angels that 
put my message in front of the neurosurgeon and not in front of the nurse. And I'm not sure how that happened, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely a universal push there. Anyway, Dr. Lanzino is talking to me. And one of the first things he says to me is tell me why you want to come see me. Okay. I, I'm, I'm so excited. And I'm talking to him and, and I'm giving him, believe it or not, just like a three minute synopsis of my history. I can narrow it down. <laughs> and he said, he said, well, my colleagues have looked at your scans and your medical records and I'm going to take a personal look at them and I'll call you, you know, tomorrow or the next day and we'll have a plan. Okay. That sounds great. I can't wait to hear from you. So that next day, um, I'm, I'm on pins and needles. I was actually at a craft workshop with one of my girlfriends and I am constantly looking at my phone. I'm calling, I'm being annoying. I know I'm being annoying and I'm just, I know he said he's going to call and he's going to call, but some of that also had to do with the trust issues that I had with my previous practice. You know, are, are they really going to listen? Are they really going to take a look at it from my point of view? Are they really? So anyway, that Friday. So two days after that first phone call, Dr. Lanzino called me and I was at my tax accountant's office dropping all my taxes. And I stepped outside and I took the call and he said, Hey, this is, you know, Dr. Lanzino. And I said, Hey, Dr. Lanzino, thank you so much for getting back to me. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to you yesterday. Just had a lot. I said, look, I know you've got more pressing patients than, than me at this point. And he said, okay, well, I took a look at everything and based on your medical history, and your age, we need to get this aneurysm. We need to clip it. And when can you be here? He agrees with me. He wants to be proactive. Well, Dr. Lanzino, I'm due to come see you, you know, in a week. Uh, actually, I think it was a week and a half at that point. Um, I'm coming in on the, you know, I was coming in on the fourth and I'm scheduled to see you on the fifth. And he goes, no, 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 no. Get off the plane and come see me at the clinic on the fourth. I have time for you, make time for you. I'll, I'll see you then. Okay, well, how long am I gonna be there and what can I expect? So I was able to plan my whole trip accordingly. Um, and I was able to fly my dad down from upstate New York to meet me here in North Carolina, get my boyfriend on the same plane and all of us fly to Minnesota together. And my son, um, I love my son tremendously. And as I said in, in part one, he lost a lot of innocence at a young age because of, of what he saw me go through. And I had approached him this time, you know, Hey, I'd really like you to be there, you know, with me this time. And he didn't want to come. He didn't want to be there. Um, and that was hard for me as, as an individual and as a mom, that he, he wasn't going to be there, but I also had to respect his boundary that he probably didn't want to see that again. He, he remembered he was 10 years old. So he remembered. Um, and he likely didn't want to be a part of it. So I dealt with that. And in addition to getting everything coordinated for the trip, I also had to update my last will and testament, my, my medical guardianship, um, leave instructions for my son. All my girlfriends loved them to death, would drive by the house without my son knowing to make sure there weren't any parties or girls staying over. Um, <laughs> I had some terrific friends that would come and hang out with my dogs and play with them and so just knowing that all of that backbone support was here in North Carolina, I was, it was a lot easier for me to be able to focus on what I had going on in Minnesota. Yeah. So we got to Minnesota 
on the fourth and went, we dropped our bags off at the hotel, went and got some food at this wonderful diner that was right next to the, to the hotel. They had some fabulous food. And it was really interesting because while I was going through all the anxiety and staying on my boyfriend's couch and not really losing all that weight and not really being able to be me, um, I wasn't eating all that much, but as soon as we touched down in Minnesota, I was hungry and I ate every day like a queen as soon as we got there because I knew I was in the right place. I knew I knew I was going to be okay. I didn't have a gut feeling that this isn't going to go right. I didn't have a gut feeling, uh, you know, I'm going to die. I was, I was comfortable and I was at peace with what I was facing. So we went in and we saw Dr. Lanzino and at Mayo Clinic, you don't, you don't wait 45 minutes in the waiting room. When your appointment is at three o'clock, you are seen at three o'clock. Oh, wow. Um, It is amazing. It is such, it is such a wonderful, wonderful place. So we go in and we see Dr. Lanzino and his, um, his assistant, uh, Megan, who is also very phenomenal. And Dr. Lanzino, he listened to my questions. He understood my anxiety, but he said something to me that I hadn't heard ever from my first neurological team or neurosurgeon team. He said, what happened to you 10 years ago should have never happened. It should never have happened that way. And we are not going to allow that to happen here. That statement gave me so much hope and it, it vindicated the anger that I, that I had held on to and still do at times, you know, here's this doctor who knows that shouldn't have happened. He knows that there were some hiccups in there that could have been avoided. And I just, he's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous person. So the next day, the plan was to do an angiogram so they could map out the surgery. So I go in to Mayo. We do the angiogram, and it's stable. It hasn't changed. It's still two millimeters. It's faced in a kind of funny, awkward way, but it's not going to, you know, take away surgery the next day. Mm-hmm. So we do that. And um, when you have an angiogram, you have to lay flat for an hour after it's done so that your artery can clot because it's a major artery that they go into for your groin. And we had done that and they told us that we could go ahead and go back to the hotel. And I said, well, I'd like to go around the hospital and get kind of familiar with where I'm going to be for the next couple of days. Is that okay? And they said, that's fine. Just do it in the wheelchair because they don't want you up walking too much. Okay. So we did that. We went to the gift shop. I found where the Starbucks was. We went to the cafeteria. Um, we just kind of got familiar with the environment. And at Mayo, there's, I, I believe I'm saying this correctly, the walls at the entry to the St. Francis campus, which is where they do brain surgery, and I'm pretty sure they do other things there. Um, they're all marble. And that's because it's believed that marble gives off healing powers to people. So it's, it, I mean, every... Every aspect of healing is respected there. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful place. So anyway, we go, we walk back over to the hotel and I'm sitting outside and all of a sudden I look at my dad and my boyfriend and I say, I think I'm bleeding. And I look and the bandage is covered in blood. And my dad, my dad, I love my dad. Get up, get up right now. We're going back to the hospital. Get up. (laughs) 
So I get up and I drape my arms over each of them and they helped me over to the hospital. And by the time I had gotten back to the hospital, which again was just across the street, I could feel the blood pumping down my leg and there were blood droplets um, on the way there and all over my shoes and the artery hit, it was bleeding out it had opened. Um, oh so we get back in there and my dad runs and he gets a wheelchair and then they take me right up to the floor. I had just come from and the nurse behind the desk, she's like, how can I help you? And boyfriend's like, we've got a femoral artery bleed. And she jumped, she jumps and she asks me to move my purse. My purse was on my lap. And at this point I'm sitting in the wheelchair and the feeling of defeat is there. Okay. Here come all the complications. Yeah. Damn it. It's not going to go as, as well as I thought it was. And here we go. Here comes the storm. And she took a look and there was a huge puddle of blood and she jumped on my artery to clamp it, to, to stop it. We went right back to the same room. There were probably six or seven people in there within seconds and they were getting everything situated. And that nurse stood on my artery for what to me felt like 45 minutes and actuality it was probably five I don't know <laughs> but she kept looking at me in my eyes and saying hey you here with me you're here with me I've got you you're good I've got it it's not bleeding anymore you're gonna be okay yeah. and it was just that constant the words of affirmation the 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 words of um positivity you know I've got you I've got I'm here for you I've got you you're not just a case you're not just a number we we got you yeah. So um, they ended up putting a sandbag over the artery and laying flat for, I think, another two and a half hours. <laughs> and then finally, I was ready to go back to the hotel, went back to the hotel. And that night, I, I made a video on my YouTube channel that night. It's very short. Oh, a TED Talk for you. Um, but it was it was about me feeling like everything's going to be okay. I'm at peace. I'm in the right place. Yeah. I'm aware of the risks, but I don't feel like they're going to, they're going to creep up on me this time. I, I felt good. Yeah. And I slept through the night like a baby, got up that next morning. We went to the hospital. They checked us in on time. They took us upstairs. Um, you know, all the forms and paperwork were done and they put me in this, I had to change my gown. They put me in this purple gown that had this like plastic lining in it. I had never seen one of those before. Yeah. And I didn't know what the heck it was for, but I was like, okay, whatever. It's purple. Purple's my favorite color. We can deal with that. <laughs> so they go to take me down to pre-op. Um, and when I get to pre-op, she plugs in this heater to this gown that I'm in. So I'm not freezing. And I was like, oh, I need one of these at home. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> and um, my dad actually looked it up on Amazon. He's like, there you go. You can have one at home. <laughs> it was really funny, but it was just that small, you know, detail to the patient's comfort yeah. makes a big difference. I don't know. I feel better when I'm warm and cozy other than when I'm freezing and have toasties on my feet. So we did all the questions and the IV was running and the anesthesiologist came in. My son called me on the phone. I was able to talk to him before I went in. And one of the biggest things I kept saying to my son before I left was, you know, baby, don't ever be basic. Don't please don't ever be basic with your life, whatever you decide to do with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that term just, just helped me with being able to leave him at home and, and face this without him. So 
it was surgery time. They took me to surgery. And um, I remember I wasn't awake when they took me to the first surgery, but I was awake when they took me to the operating room this time. And I remember being wheeled into the room and it had an L on the door and it said left craniotomy, or I'm sorry, it had an R on the door and it said right craniotomy. And I remember sitting up and going, no, it's not right. It's not right. It's left. It's left. Please make sure you do left because it's left. And the lady said, we're definitely going to do left. It's set up for left, but it's normally right. But we had to get a room for you, you know, an operating room for you. So it, trust me, it's left. Okay. So they wheel me into the room and I can see on the big screen television, I can see my aneurysm and my vessels and whatnot. And I asked her, I said, is that, is that my aneurysm? And she said, yeah, it is. And I said, not for long, it's not. And she said, no, ma'am, not for long. Yeah. And there was beach music playing, um, which made me feel like I was at home. And I don't know if beach music is what the doctor likes to listen to or what the anesthesiologist likes to listen to, or if that was just another universal push. Uh, or universe push, excuse me, but it was, it was another one of those small details that worked out and it just it made me feel so comfortable. So anyways, that we're in the operating room and there's like seven or eight people in there getting things ready. And, you know, when you go into the operating room, they have all the tools covered so you can't see them. And, you know, people have things they have to get ready for you. And the lady came over and she put a mask on my face and she said, it's just air. And I knew better. I knew it wasn't just air. And um, everybody in that room stopped what they were doing. They stopped what they were doing and they came over and somebody was touching my arm and somebody was holding my hand and somebody had their hand on my leg. And it was just, it was so, it was so peaceful. They stopped. They stopped what they were doing so they they could send me off with comfort. And it just, it meant so, so, so much to me. And I um, I had tears going down my face. You warned me I needed it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, had, I had tears running down my face over the mask and I could feel them, but they weren't. They weren't, I'm scared. They weren't, I'm sad. They were, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And um, so the surgery happened and it was a success, thankfully. And I wake up in ICU and according to, I was on fentanyl this time, not Dilaudid. So fentanyl, I felt no pain at all. Um, I was very comfortable and apparently I was making jokes and laughing a lot. Um, my boyfriend and my dad both told me that when they came in, I sang the commercial, I'm a big girl now. And <laughs> I kept saying, I did it. I did it. Um, so yeah, there were some comical moments, uh, in ICU. So anyway, they go back to the hotel, they go, you know, to bed, they're tired. I mean, your support team goes through so much. It, it's a little different than what you go through, but they have a right to be exhausted. I mean, their emotional, um, their emotional tank is on overload too. Yeah. So, um, that night I slept through the night fine. I didn't have any trouble. The nurse woke me up the next morning and she was like, Hey, if you'll sit up in this chair, I ordered your breakfast. I hope you like French toast and, and sausage. And I got you some coffee and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll sit up in the chair. And I sit up in the chair. And about that time, my dad comes in. And my dad, remember, was there the first time. So his PTSD is on high alert, too, because it was the next morning yeah. that things went downhill after the first surgery. 
so dad's in there and he's, are you okay? How are you feeling? <laughs> so, um, and I was still kind of, um, but I ate my breakfast and they took me down for a CT scan to make sure that the clip had successfully occluded the aneurysm. And thankfully it had, and I was able to go to a regular room that day. And the rooms at Mayo are massive compared to the rooms here. Um, and they're very comfortable and the beds are much more comfortable than your typical hotel or <laughs> hotel. Yeah. See, it's like a hotel there compared to a hospital. Um, anyway, so I went to my regular room and I was able to wear my own pajamas, my own fuzzy socks, which had little piggies on them. I was able to have my Tigger, um, that my dad brought down for me. I was able to have my own blankets. So I was able to make it my own environment to feel more comfortable. Like I said, healing is best done at home when you can be home. Yeah. But if you can't, they do a great job of allowing you to make that room feel as homely as possible. Yeah. So yeah. later that day, I wasn't on fentanyl anymore. I was only on fentanyl while I was in ICU. So later that day, we switched to, I think it was oxycodone. I think, um, anyway, I asked the nurse, I, I buzzed her and she came in the room, which is really neat because here at most of our hospitals, they just come over the speaker and ask you what you need. And then you tell them what you need. And when you're telling them what you need, you're telling everybody on the floor what you need because you're usually on speaker too. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, she came into the room and I looked at her and I said, you know, I think I'd like to take a walk. You know, when, when you have time, if you could come back, I, I'd really appreciate it if we could take a walk. And she's like, oh, we can walk right now. Let's go. We can, we can go right now. Really? Yeah, we can go right now. So I had to wear this like support band, um, kind of like an uh, empire wasted dress. Yeah. Um, when I would walk. So that looked really funny. Um, but <laughs> we did that. And that nurse and I, we took, I want to say we took two laps around the floor at that time. And we talked about her children. We talked about where she was from. We talked about her education background. We talked about my son. We talked about my dogs. We, it was so easy with all of the staff at Mayo. It was so easy. They were relatable. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't frustrated. They weren't upset they weren't overworked they weren't burdened by you they wanted to help you yeah another really cool thing at mayo is that when it's time to go to sleep you get to go to sleep they're not coming in there and poking you and taking your blood and and you know giving you medicine at three o'clock in the morning because that's what you know the regular they let you sleep mm -hmm. which is also a great healing in incentive um so I spent, so I spent Friday night in ICU, I spent Saturday night in the regular room. Dr. Lanzino came to see me Saturday twice. My neurosurgeon saw me in the hospital on a Saturday twice. Mm -hmm. He saw me on Sunday also twice. He saw me on Monday before I left. So he, I mean, he's part of your care the whole time. And at, at Mayo, their staff is on salary. They're not paid big bonuses from pharma, you know, pharmaceutical companies. They're not rated on how many patients they get in and out and who they can upsell this prescription to or what, what have you. They're salary. Mm -hmm. 
And they do it because they want to do it. They do it because they like what they do. They don't do it to become rich. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> Saturday, um, Dr. Lanzino, you know, just reassured me that everything had gone fine and that everything was going to be okay. And Sunday he came in and he was like, okay, you know, you can go back to your hotel now if you'd like. And I was like, uh -uh. <laughs> no, I'm still <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, there is no way this went off without any hitches. There's, there's just no way. Yeah. I said, you know, I, I think I'd like to stay one, just one, maybe one more night. And he was like, that's fine. Cause he understood. And again, he was very compassionate and, and helpful towards my anxiety and my PTSD that went with my previous experience. So I did ask him, I said, you know, I've been walking and that's been great. Can I walk down to the cafeteria tonight? Um, instead of just staying on the floor. And he's like, yeah, we can, we can make that happen. So um, my boyfriend and my dad and myself all got on the elevator and we all walked downstairs to the cafeteria and watching my dad and my boyfriend giggle like schoolboys to see me walk to the cafeteria and eat a small plate of mashed potatoes and gravy was hilarious. <laughs> but that was, that was a turning point for both of them. That was a, yeah, she's going to be okay for them. And it, it was, it was, it was really cool to see. Um, so Monday I checked out of the hospital. Um, again, phenomenal care all the way around. And I had to see Dr. Lanzino for a follow-up on Wednesday. And other than that, it was just keep your pain med regiment going. And um, you have to take anti-seizure medication, which can sometimes mess with your um, cognitive abilities even more so than, than most. So you have to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. So we just kept doing, you know, small short walks and I'd probably take a nap for three hours, wake up, do a walk, eat something, go back to sleep for another three hours um, and just repetitively do that so that there was movement going on. Mm -hmm. And then Wednesday we went in to see Dr. Lanzino and Miss Megan, she, it's Dr. Megan. She's, she's a doctor. Um, so we went in to see them and Dr. Lanzino was like, so how you feeling? And I was like, I feel, I feel great. Like I don't, you know, the pain's manageable and I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm eating and I, I feel, I feel elated. I feel great. And, um, it was like, okay, well, you know, we got it. It's, it's good to go and you can fly home now. What? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? I can fly home now. What? No, I thought I had to stay here for like two weeks. He's like, no, you said two weeks. Yeah. And I was like, I really thought it was two weeks that I had to stay after surgery. He's like, no, you can go home when you're comfortable, when you're ready, you can, you can fly and you can go home. Okay. I don't know when I'm going to be ready, but great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so that Saturday, that Saturday at the butt crack of dawn, we got on a plane from Minnesota and we flew home back to North Carolina. And that was an exhausting day for me. That, I, I feel like that was a little too much. Maybe we should have waited until Monday or Tuesday um, to fly home. But we made it. And as soon as I got home, I saw my son and I gave him the biggest hug ever. Um, 
I mean, he did good. He kept up with me. He called every day, sometimes multiple times a day, texted back and forth, was in contact with my boyfriend a lot during that time, just checking in on, on how I was doing. Um, I asked him to go get me some lunch because I was hungry and there wasn't any food in the house because he doesn't grocery shop. But he did a good job with vacuuming and making sure the towels and the sheets were clean and the dogs have been fed. So he did. He got some gold stars. Um, he went and he got me something to eat. And I took my medicine and I fell asleep for like six or seven hours and I got up and I slowly over the next three and a half weeks reacclimated into my normal routine. Um, my dad stayed here with me for those two to three weeks. So we had some fun. We had a good time. Um, I can tell you that when you first come out of a brain surgery that's successful and that you remember, um, be cognizant of your, your surroundings because you can, easily get overstimulated by too much noise, too many people, too many colors, too many lights. Yeah. Um, that can easily happen, especially with the medications that you're on, you know, the anti-seizure medications and things like that. They make you very sensitive to what you would consider normal before mm -hmm. surgery. So um, my healing since that surgery has gone pretty well. The only thing that still seems to hang around is fatigue. Um, I have learned that, you know, how people say they get hungry and then they get hangry. Yeah. So I look at it as I get tired. And if I don't listen to that, I get fatigued. And when I'm fatigued, my brain doesn't function on high capacity. It, it slows down and it's like, look, you didn't listen to me. <laughs> and now you barely have the energy to drive home and you should have listened to me an hour ago. Yeah. So I try to make it a point, you know, each and every day to have an hour or two that I'm not really doing any large stimulus to my brain. Maybe I'm playing a memory game on my phone. Maybe I'm laying down with my eyes shut, but I'm not taking a nap. Maybe I'm meditating. Maybe I, I take a walk with my dog. Maybe, you know, just something to disconnect from the constant use of your brain functionality because it's, you know, your feet hurt when you work all day. Your brain hurts when you use it all day. It, yeah. It's normal. So um, that's been the recovery as far as physical ailments, um, emotional and mental ailments. They're a bit more, a bit more uh, complex. I struggle um, with feeling the, the same feeling as the first time. Now I'm less than. I'm less than I was, you know, from the first two surgeries. I'm less than I was from the third surgery. Mm -hmm. Am I really less than in this third surgery? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, definitely not on the level of the first two surgeries, mm -hmm. but it takes time for your brain to, to reboot for lack of a better term. And you know, that first year is really spent healing your brain takes its time. And even your scalp, when, I mean, when they do the surgery for me, they cut from here to here and they pull my face down and they cut my scalp open or my skull open and they open that dura and they go into my brain. So there's a lot of nerves and things that go with that. So periodically you'll get like this, there's like spiders crawling in your hair, but there's really no spiders. It's your nerves coming back. Um, and that happens for year, two years, three years, how, however long it takes you as an individual to, to get those feelings back. And some people don't even get that feeling back in their head. I did. Yeah. So, um, 
the, the, the emotional and mental struggle is the hardest. Again, the feeling like you're less than, you know, and when you're out in public and you're having a great day and you're with your friends and then all of a sudden that tired hits you and you're like, I really got to go. Like I have to go. Like I have a 30 minute window before I need to be laying down somewhere. Yeah. Um, and when you're anxious, that somewhere almost always wants to be your home. And you know, it's not like your friend can just go, oh, go lay down in my room. No, 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 no. I need my blanket. I need my dogs. I need to just, I, I need to curl up. Um, so that can get in the way and that can be frustrating sometimes. Um, something that I found, you know, when I talk to people, and this has been for, you know, years since I've been on disability, when people say, well, what do you do for a living? And I don't really have an answer for that. Um, well, you know, I don't, I don't really work anymore because, oh, you don't work. Oh, you're so lucky. I wish I didn't have to work. Yeah. Hold on. Let me tell you why I don't work. And if you'd like to switch places with me, that would be great because they just assume, you know, that you're not working because you're, you're fulfilled in some other way, you know, that you just have this sack of money somewhere. No, I'm not working because I can't. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't want to, it's that I, you know, I can't, or I shouldn't. And again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a balance there because I do want to go back to work in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. But when you start to feel like you're less than it affects your relationships with people close to you, um, it affects your ability to uh, complete tasks. Um, and it's a whole lot easier to say, Oh, well this happened to me. So I don't have to do anything. You're right. You don't have to, you're absolutely right. You don't have to, but if you make the decision to not do anything with your life, because you had this traumatic experience, think about how that decision is going to affect you overall as a person a year down the line, two years down the line three years down the line, because once you get into the routine of, I don't have to do anything, you stay there. It's really hard to get out of that routine. Um, so it's very important that you fill your time with things that you feel bring you purpose. What brings you purpose may not bring me the same, the same fulfillment. Um, but what brings me purpose may not bring you the same fulfillment. So trial and error, just like when you're young and you're trying to find your career path, you, you change, you switch, you find things you like and things you don't like. Same thing with healing and recovery. Try new things, check them out. If you don't like them, fine, move on to the next where you like some of it and you like some of this, mix it together and make your own. There are no rules to recovery. Only the rules you give yourself. There's no, there's no stipulation. There's no limit. It's just the limits you give yourself. And if you focus on those limits and you focus on those struggles, you're not going to get any higher as, as a person. And I just, I wish, I wish everybody could understand that the limits the doctors tell us we have are not the end all be all. We are more than that. We can be more than that. We can, we can strive every single day and we can also fall out one day on our face and, and take a day off. Like I've said before, that's okay. Just don't stay there. Don't live there. Um, it's, I don't know. 
the last, the last experience that I had was so wonderful. And if I have to do it again, and if I have the means to do it at Mayo again, I will definitely do it at Mayo again. Um, I do have to go back to Mayo here in July shortly, assuming we can all get on an airplane and go, um, with what's going on right now. Um, just for a follow-up and technically I could have my scans done here and have them sent to Mayo and just have a phone conversation with my team. Yeah. But I really want to see my team. I really want to hug my doctor. I really want to, to tell them thank you so much and share the pictures. I mean, since, since I had surgery, I went to go, I went to Florida with my, one of my best friends and we stayed at, um, her condo on the beach, which is phenomenal view. And it was a very, um, rejuvenating experience for me. And it was, it was actually kind of funny because she was recovering from a knee surgery and I was recovering from brain surgery. So (laughs) it worked out real well. Um, and then I have been, I went and I visited, uh, Georgia, uh, just before Christmas and we had a great time with that. And I had anxiety with that. Okay, we're going to get in a car and we're going to drive all these hours. And is that going to trigger a TIA? And I'm going to be far away from my doctors. How far is Jacksonville, Florida Mayo Clinic from where we're going in Georgia? I mean, all of those things still happen. And all of those thoughts still come in on a a daily basis. But I have recognized that I have the power and the choice to allow them to run my life or not. Mm-hmm. And some days they win and some days they don't, but I, it's up to me. It's up to me how much I'm going to recover. It's up to me what I'm going to do with the time that I still have here. So, you know, I hope, I hope anybody who listens to this story finds something meaningful to them. It took me 10 years to share my story in a setup like this. It took me 10 years to be able to, speak to, to people about what I had been through. Um, but I'm really grateful that I've started it. It's, it's therapeutic for me and I hope that it's helpful for, for others because you're not alone. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. You are so inspirational. You've touched so many lives and you're, you're just, some of the things you say are just relevant to life as a human being. And then, you know, add on the layer of, oh, my identity has now changed because of this and sort of clean slate regrouping. And even, you know, now with the coronavirus and all that's going on, still regrouping, but you know how to do that and pivot and that the, um, the self-love and the forgiveness and all of those elements are just it's just relevant to human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can do it with these added layers of challenge and keeping your eye, I heard this, um, a coach was talking today about if you're driving on this race course, right? And there are cones along the way mm-hmm. and then there's the road and you're in a race car. So you're going very fast. If you look at the cones, that's where you'll go. You'll hit the cones. Right. You don't look at the cones. I mean, you take notice Uh of what needs to be attended to, but you look where you're going. Yeah. It's just amazing. um, I'm sorry. I wanted to add something because you just said self-love and things like that. And that reminded me of something. So 
my therapist, in addition to being proactive with the treatment of this second aneurysm with Mayo Clinic, I was also proactive when I got home. Granted, the surgery didn't, it didn't have any complication, thankfully, but I was also proactive. I need cognitive therapy. I need to get into a therapist. I need to make sure that I don't end up depressed again because I had already done that. So I did do the cognitive therapy and I'm still seeing the therapist. She's a, she's a very wonderful lady. And she said to me one day, because again, I share with her how my thoughts work. And she said to me one day, why are you so mean to yourself? Why do you talk so down to yourself? Would you talk to somebody else who went through what you went through the way you talk to yourself? Yeah. No, I would no, I would never do that. That would just put that person down. That wouldn't heal them. That wouldn't help them. She was like, so why do you do it to yourself? Yeah. Fair assessment. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. So instead of, you know, beating myself up when the anxiety hits, you know, I accept it and hey, I got you. You're here for the next 10 minutes. What do you want to talk about? Let's get this over with, because I've got other things to do. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on that. Um, instead of, you know, internalizing negativity to, to myself about things that I may or may not be able to do as well as I could, or as well as I think I should, the fact that I can do them is in an amazing in and of itself. So, um, we all need help refocusing sometimes when we have to deal with the, the ailments that we have. Um, but yes. It's common to human beings. And, and, and after hearing your story, you know, several spaces now, I, you know, we talked earlier and in the previous episode that we did, um, what I'm so struck with is how highly intuitive you are, how sensitive you are. Um, you have this powerful gut sense, you know, gut instinct and, that you were tempted, you keep being tempted to be driven by something on the outside, and yet you resisted it. And it, it, it just causes this conflict now because we're told to respect authorities and believe these people. And of course, they're educated all those years and they have all those initials at the end of their name. They must be right. Mm-hmm. And still, you listened and you listened, and it saved your life more than once. And now there's, like you say, there's time to heal and see, all right, I am smarter than that doctor in this way. You may not know all the drug names. You may not know all the anatomy parts, but we all have inherent intelligence Mm -hmm. and knowledge and you listen to it. And I just love, love, love that about you. Thank you. Um, I went to see an energy reader after my first two surgeries. Um, I had never done that before, but I was very open to it because as you said, the, the in, I have an intuitiveness that not everybody has or not everybody listens to. Yeah. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to know. So I went to this energy reader and I remember asking her if it was my grandmother that pushed me to keep trying to find an answer because there were times that I was done. I wanted to give up. I, I didn't, I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. I didn't want to hear the nose anymore. I just, I was like, ah, yeah. So, um, I asked her if my grandmother was pushing me and she said, no, it wasn't your grandmother because your grandmother wasn't that person in life. She's there with you when you have financial frustrations or when you have parenting frustrations or, you know, general life frustrations, but she wasn't the one pushing you. You have several guardian angels that 
pushed you. Yeah. And I firmly uh, believe her. I believe her a hundred percent. And I actually, I have two tattoos that are, um, in reference to the experience that I went through. I have one on my foot that says faith and hope, and it has angel wings around it because to represent my guardian angels. Yeah. And then I also have one on my forearm that is the brain aneurysm awareness ribbon. So it's like a cancer ribbon, but it's burgundy yeah. and it has two clips um, on it and it says survivor and it has both of my surgery dates on it. And it says, God's got me on top of it because when I was going through my anxious period and I was really doubting that I was going to be okay, that I was going to get a doctor to, to be able to help me. And, and, you know, I was just doubting everything. I used to tell myself, God's got me. God's got me. God's always had me. He's got me now. It's going to be okay. And I also have a lotus flower below that to symbolize rebirth, constant rebirth. So, um, yeah, the, I, I, the intuitiveness definitely helped. Um, Help me get through that and i believe my guardian angels help me too and something now is pushing you um because there are you know when you say what do you do for a living i mean you, you don't have to be paid to do for a living uh -huh. <laughs> and uh <laughs> what you're doing for a living right now sharing your story is helping so many people in so many ways and um yeah something is continuing to push you to do this this kind of you know the speaking you've done already the speaking you'll do in, in the future and I and mean, hopefully many people will hear this you know this little component so I hope so and I, to your viewers again thank you for listening and taking the time I know I, it's long drawn out gift of gab I, I don't think I'm ever gonna lose that again I hope I don't I hope you don't because <laughs> it's, it's you uh, everything about you is perfect just the way you are Thank you. Um, but if your viewers have any questions um, specifically to aneurysms, specifically to their own story, specifically to my story, what have you, um, please have them reach out. Email is perfect. Um, I think you've got that in the description for yeah, them. But, um, yeah, email is perfect. I'm sorry. Can you hear my rooster cockadoo? I can. I, I, my dog barked a couple of times, I think, too. Sorry. He's got a mind of his own, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy to, to help and assist in any, any way that I can, but I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't give you medical advice. I can give you experience advice, but not medical advice. Yes. And certainly just having another person to listen to the story, um, and hear your story and, and just share, you know, just share. It's so, um, healing and powerful. Just that part where you were in the... <laughs> coming in um oh he's right outside the door hello so uh, that part where you were you were in the um operating room and everybody stopped to just acknowledge you you know this is so powerful to be acknowledged and and connected and truly connected it was it, it was amazing and i cannot stress enough how mayo is on such a different level with their entire approach and the resources that they have access to and the way that they work with each other, not against each other. So it's not like, Oh, I went to go see this doctor. And he said, no, Mayo's going to call that doctor 
and they are going to say, hey, so why do you have this opinion and what do you think about this? And they're going to collaborate and they'll collaborate with doctors outside of their own clinic, outside of the country to find the best possible solution for a patient. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's an amazing, an amazing, amazing place. Yeah. Well, that is really good for me to hear. And I see you as an, as I said at the beginning, an advocate for the healthcare system and health delivery system that we can do better mm-hmm. as, you know, as a, as a culture. And um, so it's really great to hear that you've had such a positive experience. Yeah. And, Let's just hope we don't have to have any more experiences around that. <laughs> Well, I think the rooster is telling us our, our time is about up. I would have to agree with you. I think he's letting you know, you know, hey, why don't you throw me a piece of cheese or something here? I'm looking for food. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Carrie, for um, for uh, coming on the show again. And um, I have a feeling we'll be doing more together. I <laughs> certainly, certainly hope so, Joyce. Thank you so much for, for reaching out and doing what you do for people. You, um, you and in yourself is an inspiration. You're a survivor you're a thriver. Yeah. You, you know, you want to help and reach other people in so many ways and you're doing that with your work. And that is, that is definitely um, a very, very good thing. Thank you for that acknowledgement. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, you take care. Hey everyone, Joyce Strong back again just to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. I want to remind you that you can visit me at TotalWellCoach.com, which links to all my social media and my offerings, my Inner Circle membership, which is a an entry-level way to get involved, get coaching, and get all my classes for one low monthly fee. And if you want more, work with me one-on-one with intensive nutrition and lifestyle so that you can opt out of chronic disease, then get in touch with me and we'll talk about how that happens. We spend a lot of time together. I want you to join the one-on-one coaching if you're really committed to making a lifestyle change and you want a guide and a support and a friend to walk with you in this journey. You're going to do the work. I'm going to support you. Um, You already have what you need inside you to make these changes. So do reach out to me at TotalWellCoach.com. I love it when you subscribe and share and comment on all my um, YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and all those places because it elevates my frequency and it gets more people to hear and see what I do. So please, 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 I really, it means the world to me if you would help support me that way because you're helping support my entire network. I'm here for you if you need me. So thanks again for tuning into the podcast and reach out. Love to hear you. Love to get your comments. Love to get your DMs. Love to get your emails. Any way I can help, let me know. That's what I'm here to do. I love to serve. So thanks again. Bye.